Amen. Lord, we do. We adore you. We worship and magnify your most holy name. And holy, holy, holy is your name. No one else apart from your grace is holy. We just thank you and praise you. We ask as we go to your word, Lord, that you would take this marred and imperfect vessel and use it for your glory. We ask we not hear the words or opinions of men, but the word of God. And Lord, may it impact us, change us, draw us near unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 1. If you were not here a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago we did a, uh, an overview on the book. Let me encourage you to grab uh, the CD. They're always free. I'll do a brief overview this morning, but we did a real in-depth one, so I'm not going to take uh, a lot of time. But I do want you to understand the context of what's happening here, because as we travel through this letter, it's very important. I went to a pastor's conference this week, and it was, it was great. And they all, every one of them said the same thing. It's all you got, guys, you got to give them the context. You got to give them the context. For me, they were preaching to the choir, but I love to be reminded again and again how important it really is. So this letter was written by John, the same John who wrote the gospel of John. This is John, the brother of James. He's one of the sons of thunder. He's one of the three, you know, inner group of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, one of the 12 apostles, but within the 12 There were the three that were closest to the Lord. They got to go with him the most places. He would reveal more to them. If you remember, he even took him up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he got to see God in his glorified, you know, the Lord in his glorified body. And so this is John writing and now John is coming, you know, he's a lot older. Some 50 50 years or so have passed since Jesus has, you know, ascended back into heaven. And as time has passed, persecution has come upon the church, and now also false doctrine is beginning to be taught in a real prevalent way. And so John is writing this letter with the heart of a pastor to those who are being persecuted for their faith, but also addressing the false teaching that was going on that day. So we love this, we love John, I mean what a great guy, guy used mightily by God, refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it wasn't an act of arrogance. I believe it was an act of humility that he wouldn't even mention himself by name. We also know that he was the one, and this is important, he was laying his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. So he had a very close relationship with the Lord. And now he's hearing things being taught about the Lord that no doubt, I hate to give him too much, you know, put words into his mouth, but in a sense, no doubt probably made his blood boil. Can you imagine hearing things about the Savior that you walked with, the Savior you know, who died on the cross? John was the only one there at the cross. All the other apostles fled. John was the one who took Mary, Jesus' mother, into his home and took care of her. So this is the guy who stayed by the stuff when everybody else fled. He was there that morning they, when they ran to, to the tomb. John was there with Peter. So we see that he was the man, again, being used mightily by God, who stood by the stuff. Some time has gone by, and now he hears lies being taught, and he writes this letter to encourage the Christians of the day to not fall for it. My exhortation to you this morning as we go through John, 1 John, as we go through it over the next several weeks, is that we too would not fall for it. Amen? Because false teaching is as prevalent today as it's ever been. What was under attack? A couple of things, then we'll move into the text. The Gnostics, Gnostic means knowledge. 
And they thought they were in the know. They thought they had special revelation from God that nobody else had. And you had to go to them to get this knowledge. Yet the knowledge they had contradicted the word of God. Does that sound familiar? We live in a time today when there are those who say they have special knowledge from God, but we know they're liars because when they open their mouth, they contradict what we know is the word of God. Amen? And everybody who says they speak for the Lord, you must always check it against what we know has come from the Lord, the word of God. And so these Gnostics had a bunch of crazy ideas. So several of them that are so important to the text, one of which was they believed that Jesus was not God, was not deity in the flesh. They believed that the Holy Spirit only came upon him at the baptism and then departed from him when he went to the cross. So he was just a man in, in a human way. That, and again, they also believed that he did not have flesh because they believed all flesh was evil. And so since he was being used by God, he couldn't have had human flesh. So they believed he was like a phantom. Now they have all these crazy ideas. And sadly though, if people say crazy things long enough, some people start to believe it. And they especially start to believe it if standing for the truth starts to cause them problems. So again, we're living in a time right now that this is so on target for the world we live in today. Where if you stand up for the truth, you're just some kind of radical religious fanatic. Have you noticed that lately? The more you stand for the truth, the more outside of the world you live in today you are. But praise God that we're not like the world because God told us not to be. His his word tells us not to be. We're in the world. We're not to be of it. So the first person, again, of who Jesus Christ is, is being attacked. Christianity is being attacked. The resurrection, the crucifixion, everything about the Christian faith is being attacked. And that's why as we start in verse 1 this morning, you're going to see an urgency in the heart of John. He doesn't even introduce himself he doesn't say hello anything he just hits the ground running and you know what that i believe again because he's so grieved and so burdened about what is happening now the exhortation he's going to give them this morning and we're going to see it in my exhortation to you is to move beyond knowing about jesus to knowing him intimately the reason that the gnostics were such a mess is they knew about jesus christ but they didn't know him And there are a lot of people today speaking for the Lord who've never met him. And we know it by the words they speak. And that's why we need the word of God to ground us. So, we need to move past him being a distant historical figure to being one that we have intimate fellowship with. From being influenced by the flawed wisdom of false teachers to being empowered to live a holy set-apart life by the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. From living a life of hypocrisy and carnality to walking in faithful obedience to the Word of God. From ignoring and excusing or attempting to cover our sin to coming to the Lord with a heart of brokenness and confession over it. So the three things that he's going to talk about in the coming weeks, and then we'll go to verse 1, Three times he says, this is why I'm writing you the letter, and we're going to talk about the first one this morning. He says, I'm writing you this letter that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Number two, that you might not sin, that's in chapter two, and when we get to chapter five, that they may know that they have eternal life. Guys, as Christians, heaven is a no-so. Amen? I don't hope I'm going to heaven. 
I know for sure that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and so can you if you've been born again, that you're going to heaven. And guys, if you don't know for sure, you need to get that straight today. Amen? Don't leave earth without him. We need Jesus. All right. I titled the message, The Fullness of Joy. The Fullness of Joy. In times of trial and difficulty, even suffering and pain, facing unrelenting persecution from a lost world for simply standing for your faith, having your belief questioned, even mocked by some who would call themselves Christians, in the midst of these overwhelming circumstances, how in the world can anyone have joy? We can fast forward 2,000 years. Our economy, kind of a mess. God's in control. We just had an election. Not so much. But God's in control. We voted to protect chickens but not babies. We're calling good evil and evil good. We're messing up, amen? But guess what? God's in control. You know what? We have people in our church going through health issues. We've got we've had people have gone through tragic losses of spouses and children struggles and difficulty and trials and people with cancer. How in the world can we have joy when Christianity is being mocked? When we live in a county that is less than 3% Christian, how in the world can we have joy the same way that they're ascribed to have joy in the text we're going to look at this morning? So if you're a note taker, There's five points to the message, the fullness of joy, how to experience joy in the midst of trials, difficulty, and suffering. Number one, remember that our Savior and His promises haven't changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad? Everything around us can change. He doesn't. Number two, pursue intimate fellowship with the Lord. Go from knowing about Him to knowing Him by experience. Number three, Boldly declaring the truth to others. In a time when it would be so tempting to shut our mouths and be undercover Christians, the way to have joy is to be used for the very thing that God's called us to be used for. To be tools in the hands of our master. Number four, stay focused on the fact that your fellowship is with the Lord and other believers, not the world. You know, the world doesn't like me. Okay, praise God. Amen. We can all walk around looking like we've been sucking on a lemon. But as Christians, we shouldn't. Guys, it's okay. Now, they should not dislike us because we're being jerks. Amen? Or self-righteous. But if they have a problem with us because we stand for God, then that's okay. Blessed are you when they will violent persecute you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Amen? And finally, know that the source of our joy is based on where we stand with the Lord, not our circumstances. Amen? So let's begin in verse 1, the fullness of joy, how to experience joy in the midst of trials, difficulty, and suffering. First, remember that our Savior and His promises haven't changed. It says, that, that. That's the first word of the letter. Have you ever opened up a letter? That. I'm telling you, it's the only letter in Scripture where I see, boom, right off the bat. No hello, not telling you who's writing, nothing. Here it is. I got a burden. I don't have time for, you know, fancy uh, greetings or salutations. I got something to say, and here it comes. It says, that which was from the beginning. 
Without even a brief introduction, we can sense the burden and urgency in his heart. And again, the agnostics said they had special knowledge. Again, the word gnosis is the word for knowledge. And they believed they had superior private knowledge. They were the ones in the know. And they taught that Jesus was a created being. They said Jesus was a created being. That he was not deity, but that the Spirit of Christ had only come upon him. So he says, that which was from the beginning. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Later you see, it says, Let us make man in our image. Who is this us talking? It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That which was from the beginning... Jesus Christ is not a created being. The Bible says he was the firstborn over creation. He always has been and he always will be. And they were trying to make him a created being. And right off the bat, he says, that which was from the beginning. Jesus Christ always has been and always will be. The Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then in John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So who's that talking about? Jesus Christ. So in the beginning, Jesus already was. Now here's what's interesting. In Micah, it says this in Micah 5, But you, Bethlehem, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are of old from everlasting. From everlasting. See guys, our eternal life is eternal in one direction. Every one of us was created. And every one of us had a beginning point, but as believers in Christ, well, all people are going to live forever, just a matter of where, amen? But our, our eternity is all in front of us. But what we must understand about Jesus Christ is he is from the everlasting. He always has been. And so one of the lies that's being taught today, anytime you hear somebody say that Jesus was created, it's a lie. He's not created, he's creator. He is over creation. He is God. He is deity. And when they start to make him less, this is what the cults do. Make Jesus less and man more. Make God less and man more. You're going to be God of your own planet one day. Really? That sounds pretty good. How do I sign up for that? Right? Man-centered gospel. Itching ears. These are the things the Gnostics were teaching. They had a special revelation. And their special revelation is Jesus was created. Their special revelation was, oh, he's not really fully deity. Oh, and the Spirit came upon him, and he wasn't fully in the flesh. One of their other lies was to make themselves feel better about their sinful behavior, which is often what the cults do. They try to sanctify their sin. What they, did, what they said was, well, since my body is evil and my spirit is good, it doesn't matter what I do in my body because my body's evil anyway. So I can live like the devil and really be a Christian. Guys, our belief is reflected in our behavior. You can say you're a Christian all day long. It means nothing if it's not reflected in the way that you live your life. The word there, from everlasting in Micah, means beyond the vanishing point. 
from eternity past, before there was time, gives you a headache, doesn't it? Where was, where was God 500 billion years ago? He was there. Where was he before? He was there. How about before? He was there. You just go, oh, I can't get, I don't get it. And people, because they can't get it, start to put God, try to define God like the Gnostics did. Oh, well, he must have been created then. Guys, because you don't get it, don't limit God. Amen? Aren't you glad you don't serve a God you can completely define or figure out? I'm glad he's way too great for my little walnut to figure out who he is completely. Amen? God is so much smarter than us. Two things are, are undeniable. There is a God, and you're not him. Amen? And he's way greater than you. And you don't co- he doesn't come to you on your terms. You come to him on his. And he's writing this letter. And it, man, I could just sense John writing this down, finding out what. It, they're saying what? About my Savior? What did they give? Get over here. Give me some paper. That which was from the beginning. He was from the beginning. What do you, they said he's created that which is from the beginning. He's always been. He always will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's the good news, guys. Not only is he from the beginning, but his message has never changed. He didn't change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. Amen? I've had debates with people. Well, God changes his mind. That's why we have to pray. No. We don't pray to change God's mind, but to change our hearts. Amen? To conform us to his I'm really glad. You know what? If he changed his mind, that would mean that he did something wrong. Or he didn't know what he was doing. Or he made a mistake. God doesn't do that. And so the word is the same. The message is the same. But the Gnostics said, but we've got a new word. Guys, we're living in a time where people are coming up with a new word all the time. I remember years ago, a real good friend of mine, I counted him as a Christian brother, but he came to tell me that the Kansas City prophets were coming to town and they had a new word. And I needed to go see him. I'm like, you know, I'll let that go by. I don't need the Kansas City prophets. I got 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages, written over 1,500 years of one central theme and no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it, amen? I don't need any more prophets. I got this one. Let's read this book. You get this mastered, start worrying about a new word, amen? There are no new words. Same yesterday, today, and forever, that which was from the beginning, Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Wait a minute, Pastor Dave, he was always crucified? The Bible says he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. How is that possible? Because God is outside of time and space, and God knows what he's doing, amen? The gospel doesn't change. So, the fullness of joy. First thing that we see is that God is unchanging. His word and his message are unchanging. Number two, if you want to have fullness of joy in the midst of difficulty, pursue intimate fellowship with the Lord. Not just knowing about God, but knowing him by experience. Here's what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. We're still in the first verse, and John refutes yet another Gnostic heresy. They taught that all matter was evil, as I said, and because of that, they said that Jesus could not have come in human flesh because humanity was evil, or that would have made him evil. So 
John refutes that by saying, that which is from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our own eyes, that which we have looked upon, and our hands have what? Handled. You cannot grab a hold of a phantom. Amen? Right off the bat, he's putting perspective on who Jesus really is. We're going to see in verse 2, it says, The word of life was manifested. Again, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word made flesh. He is not a phantom. So now he lists four ways that he interacted with Jesus Christ that the Gnostics have not. Guys, can I tell you this? The greatest, quote, theological scholar who studies religion and has not had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ and been born again, I don't care if he's been studying for a hundred years, knows less than someone's been saved for 15 seconds. Amen? Without the Holy Spirit, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? And they can have all kinds of head knowledge, but until they come to know Christ, they don't know anything. And so here's the exhortation as he begins to write because the Gnostics were obviously drawing people away. If they weren't, he wouldn't have written the letter. But some of the words they were saying were obviously catching people's attention. So now he begins to write to them to clue them in. Here's what he says. That which we have heard. Did John hear a little bit from Jesus? Read the Gospels. He was there for pretty much all of it. He heard all the parables. He heard all the sermons. He was there at the Sermon on the Mount. He was there when the Lord was preaching to the masses. He was there when he took the 12 apostles aside. He was there when he began to minister to him one-on-one. He poured his life into him. He heard the word of God from the God of the word. He knew him. He didn't know about him. He didn't have theories about him. He didn't think, you know, go into a a think tank and figure things out. He walked with him for three years. He knew him intimately, and he heard every word. Guys, the only way you can get to know Jesus Christ is you need to have ears to hear what he has to say. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. So how do we get to know the Lord? We hear him. We read his word. We let him speak to us. The Gnostics were spiritually blind. They were dead. They didn't know God. Why? Because they did not know Jesus Christ in an intimate and a personal way. They knew about him historically, but they had never met him. Guys, you might say, well, Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. I haven't met him. If you've been born again, yes, you have. Amen? We've met him. We know him. We have intimate fellowship with him through the person of the Holy Spirit. The word heard there in the Greek, it means something that has happened in the past, but is still having an impact in the present. He had heard the words of Jesus some 50 years earlier, but it was still fresh and impacting in the same that very day. That's the way that word's written in the original language. I've heard from him. We heard him. We heard his word, and it's still impacting us 50 years later. So first of all, he heard him speak of the four ways he interacted with Jesus, the word of life. Second, he saw him with his eyes. Again, the word there is uh, the same kind of thing. I saw him in the past, and it still impacts me today. Remember, again, he saw Jesus walking on water, right? 
He saw Jesus when he was transfigured at the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus raising people from the dead. He saw Jesus casting demons out of people. He saw Jesus healing the man with the withered hand. He had watched him closely for three years. He knew Jesus Christ in a personal way. The Gnostics did not. Here's his qualifications. I've heard him. I've seen him. And then he says, with our eyes. Again, I love that point because he's saying it wasn't a vision I had. It wasn't a dream I had. I saw him with my natural eyes. I saw him. I walked with him. I'm a witness. I can, be a, can give testimony to what he has done. So he says, we have heard him. We have seen him with our eyes. He says, which we have looked upon. Third thing he says, I looked upon him. How's that different than, than seeing him? Well, the word looked upon there means to gaze, to study. A long, searching gaze. The apostles watched Jesus intently, saw the unmistakable reality of who he is. He's Lord, he's God, he's Savior, he's Messiah. He has supernatural power. Again, I mentioned many of the things he saw. You know, when he goes, peace be still, and the waves go, who else does that? Nobody. God does. When he's walking on water and he calls Peter out of the boat, when he tells people what they're thinking, they saw that. They were there. They were studying him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when they first started walking with Jesus, what they must have thought? Can you imagine some of the conversations the apostles must have had? Did you see that? Dude, did you see that? Was I the only one? Did you see what that? Did he just do that? I can't write that down. You know, it's in the Bible now. But the point is that. They saw him, they not just saw him with a glance, but they studied him, they gazed upon him. John is saying, I, I walked with him, I saw him, I heard his words. They also saw that he had the authority to forgive sins. They were there, they heard him say, your sins are forgiven, who else can do that but God? They heard him grant eternal life. You know, the Bible tells us that, that only a fraction of all the things he did with the apostles are recorded in Scripture. There was so much more that was done that he heard, that he saw, and that he studied about the Lord. So when somebody came and told him a lie about the Lord, when somebody was preaching false doctrine, he recognized it immediately. Guys, the way that you will be free from falling for the lie is to know the truth like the back of your hand. Amen? You want to keep from, fall, from somebody coming to your door and deceiving you? turning on TV and being deceived, a coworker telling you a lie that sounds good. Guys, the way you're going to keep from being deceived is to know the truth of God's word. John and the apostles had a front row seat and ample proof that Jesus was indeed God in human flesh. And then finally he says, we heard him, we saw him, we looked upon him, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The word have handled means to feel, and it literally means to go after like you're grasping for somebody, like a blind man groping for somebody in the dark. But they reached out and grabbed a hold of him. Again, this destroys the phantom theory of the Gnostics, that he didn't have flesh. They didn't say, hey, we just saw him and we heard him, but we actually grabbed a hold of him. Remember, it says in Luke 24 says, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
The Lord later encouraged Thomas to touch him after the resurrection. He says to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And again, John knew very well that he was flesh because he had laid his head on his chest. Knew it out more than once as they would eat. They would recline on their sides and he had his head on the Savior's chest. Here people are lying about his Savior. Here people are saying, oh, he was just a phantom. He, didn't re- he wasn't really deity. Is there anything new under the sun? Don't we hear the same thing today? He didn't raise from the dead. He's not really God. He's Michael the archangel. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. He's a brother of Satan. That's what the Mormons say. He's neither of those things. He's almighty God made manifest in the flesh. And if you make him anything less than that, you are not a Christian. Amen? Don't make him less. And you can't make him more than he is because it's impossible. Amen? Can't overestimate the greatness of our God. And then it calls him the word of life. The word there is logos. And it's the same word in the, you know, and the word, the logos, was made flesh. So in the beginning was the logos. And then later, you know, and it says, and it was God. And then later it says, and the logos became flesh and dwelt among us. And here, it's the same word, the word of life. If you have a good Bible, that word, word, should be capitalized, right? That's because it's a rep- a pointing to Jesus. So, he's the word. And so, if you want to know the God of the word, you need to study the word of God. Amen? It's not by chance, it's the same word. So, you might say, man, I'm envious. He got to hear him. He got to see him. He got to touch him. You know what's awesome, guys? We get to see him in his word. We get to hear him through the word. And guess what? He touched us in the person of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. Amen? We are blessed people. And we should be assured of our faith. And not walk around and be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine by those who don't know the true and living God. You know what? Sometimes I think we need to get back to the simplicity of our faith. I can't remember who it was, but somebody once asked a great theologian, what's the greatest theological truth that he's ever uncovered? And he responded and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Doesn't get any better than that, amen? The simple truth of who Jesus Christ is. So here's John's credentials. I heard him teach, I saw him, I studied him, I touched him, I walked with him, he was, my close, he was my friend. I know him in a personal and intimate way. And these false teachers some 50 years later say, yeah, we got better knowledge than you do. We're smarter than you. We know better than you. And we're going to teach things that contradict the very things you know to be true. You know, it wasn't long ago, Pastor Chuck was on the radio. They asked him to be on the radio with, uh, on a panel. And on the panel... I love this story because Pastor Chuck's told it a few times at the pastor's conference. He said that there was another guy on there and they were talking about whether or not, there's this theory that there were two Isaiahs. The reason they say that is because the prophecies in Isaiah are so perfect they can't accept that they could possibly be written all by one man long before they happened. So what they say is there was an Isaiah who wrote the first half of the book and another Isaiah who wrote, someone else, or another Isaiah who wrote the second half of the book because it's too perfect. Impossible. 
There's no way someone could be that right. Well, unless they're a prophet filled with the Spirit of the living God who wrote it down. Amen. So Chuck says, well, here's the thing. Jesus quoted from both halves of the book and gave Isaiah credit for both of them. So the guy then said, and he said, so you think you know better than Jesus? And the response was, well, certainly we know more than Jesus did today. We've got more novels and books and we've done more study and we're further along. And, oh, stop. You know what Chuck did? He hung up the phone. So the radio guy called him back and said, hey, I think we got disconnected. He goes, hey, look, any guy thinks he knows more than Jesus, I'm done. What am I going to say to that guy? And there are people today that think they know more than Jesus Christ. We've got a new revelation. We've got a special little booklet for you from Brooklyn. It's, it supersedes the Word of God. No, it doesn't. Amen? The Word of God is the authority. Let's not fall for the lies of the enemy. Special knowledge. How about no knowledge? You know, isn't it interesting that gnosis or gnostic means knowledge, yet people like to walk around and be arrogant and say, I'm an agnostic. You know what that means? I have no knowledge. That's what it means. Awe in front of a word means I without, right? You know, I'm an agnostic. You could also interpret it ignoramus. That's a true statement. So tell me about your religious faith. Well, I'm an ignoramus. Pretty proud of it, too. How tragic is that? Can you imagine someone coming up to... He had no physical body. John's like, are you out of your mind? I touched him. You've lost it. No, that's just not true. You're telling that to my people? You're telling that to other Christians? Let me write a letter and straighten you out. Guess what? First John. Here it comes. So who are you going to believe? A bunch of guys who never saw him, never heard, never heard him speak, never touched him, or a guy who walked with him for three years. And that's John's exhortation to them. Jesus, the word of, notice what it says, the word of life. Not a word of a life, but the word of life. Amen? Guys, there is no other word. There's no other way. There's no other path. There's no other truth apart from Jesus Christ. He is the word of life revealed to us. And again, God, open our hearts and our minds to the truth of who you are. How does God communicate with man? People have said, I wish God would come down and speak to me. He did. He does. Here it is. Amen? I wish God would write me a letter. He wrote you 66 books full. Amen? Well, if Almighty God would come down from heaven and tell me, then I'd believe. He did. He does. Amen? We need to read this book. He is the word of life, the Logos. And we need to read his word that we might know him better. Jesus is the word. He's the truth. He's our example. John knew him, heard him, touched him, walked with him. The Gnostics didn't know him, hadn't heard him, hadn't touched him, had no fellowship with him, and yet claimed to speak for him. How foolish is it for man to listen to somebody, be an authority on someone they've never met, as opposed to those who have walked with him. This is why I really don't care what people who don't know God think about very, very many things, if anything at all. I really don't. Now, I want to reach them for the kingdom of God. I'll listen to them that we might have an opportunity to talk about the Lord. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about the Gnostics. I had a guy in my office just this week say, or last week, say, 
guy behind me is a believer. Dave, his name's Dave. And Dave says to the guy, yeah, you ought to come to church sometime. He goes, oh, I go to a Gnostic church. A Gnostic church? Really? I thought that's interesting. So Dave starts asking, what's a Gnostic church? Well, we're studying the different dimensions of Jesus. Right now we're studying that. He started, it was just nonsense. I'm listening to this, but I said, I went over to him. I said, bro, let's go have lunch. I'd love to hear about the Gnostic church. I have no interest in the Gnostic church, but I want to hear about the Gnostic church so that I can share with him about the true church. Amen? The true Savior. So again, we shouldn't be arrogant and self-righteous, but guys, what does the world have to offer us as far as wisdom? Nothing. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Christianity was being misrepresented by the Gnostics 2,000 years ago and by those claiming to have knowledge today, trying to speak with authority, again, about one whom they've never met and obviously whose book they don't understand. I didn't watch the movie. I refused to watch it, but it was just on TV recently, The Da Vinci Code. What a bunch of nonsense. Well, this painting and this code and this thing. Stop. Read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you'll know that all that stuff is nonsense. But why do people believe it? Because they're biblically ignorant. Why do we come to church on Sunday? And why do we spend an hour in the Word of God? Because this is how we get to know Him better. And to know Him is to love Him. Amen? And my prayer is, I hope that this is gravy on Sunday, not your main meal and you're starving the rest of the week. Amen? Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. You guys need to get a copy and read it. And we'll always give you one. They didn't know the word. They didn't know the true and living God. They had not come to know the truth. And those who haven't studied the word of God find themselves as easy prey for the lie. Guard against falling for the lies of false doctrine. Know the truth of God's word. Point number three, boldly declare the truth to others. Instead of being distracted by the false teaching, you proclaim the truth with boldness. Amen? You know, if the enemy can't distract you, if the enemy can't dissuade you to walk away from the faith, he wants to render you ineffective for the truth. Hey, if I can't get him to walk away, let me get him so distracted and overwhelmed and feeling inadequate that he says nothing. I don't think any of us are going to get to heaven and wish we had said less about our Savior. Amen? You know, I should have said less. I really shouldn't have talked to that guy about the Lord. I wasn't fully equipped. Guys, we should study to show ourselves approved. A workman who need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. But again, if you've been saved for a day and a half, you know more than the unbeliever knows. Amen? You can tell people about the love of Christ and that he died on the cross for their sins. It says there, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The life was manifested. Again, that just means he became man. Jesus always was, but he did not take on flesh until he came as a baby in Bethlehem. He came in human flesh. So when he came, now all remember back in Micah, it talked about he would come to Bethlehem. That was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Guys, the Bible rocks, amen? It's amazing how when you open it up, it's incredible. How in the world could someone know where the Messiah would be born unless God wrote the book? He wrote the book. 
He became a man, incarnated. He took, incarnate. He took on human flesh. And again, this destroys the Gnostic lie that Jesus came only in spirit, not in the flesh. So the word manifested means, in the Greek, means to reveal or to make visible that which was hidden. Man, I like that. To make real or visible that which was before hidden. He was made manifest. Jesus took on human flesh and came to earth, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I want you to know this. People say, I wonder what God the Father is like. If you want to know what God the Father is like, certainly we have representations of him in Scripture, but if you want to know what he's like, look at Jesus. Amen? Jesus said, if you have seen me, what? You've seen the Father. So you want to know what the Father's like? Look at Jesus Christ. He is God made manifest in the flesh, and he's a perfect representation of his Father. And again, Note the response to having experienced intimate fellowship with the Lord. What does he say? We have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us. The word bear witness means testify, charge, give evidence, bear record, give testimony. Here's what he says. Look, we know the truth and we can't help but tell other people about it. Guys, here's... A real path to having joy in spite of your circumstances. Start living your life with eternity in focus. When you fall in love with the Lord, you can't help but tell others about Him. And if you have never shared your faith, you need to fall more in love with Jesus. Because if you do, you will. But I'm not, I'm not very eloquent In our weakness, he is made strong. Amen? God uses the, the weak things of the world to confound the wise, the, the least things of the world to confound the wise. So guess what? We all qualify for that. So praise God. And so we see his exhortation as they're sitting there going, man, you know, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. And, you know, and hey, and I'm struggling. And not, you know, get persecuted on the outside. And Gnostics on the inside. He didn't say, hey, go hide. Hey guys, you know, things are kind of hot right now. Go hide. You know, why don't you dial it down? Why don't you rope it back? Pull it back a notch and just kind of take a rest until things mellow out a little bit. No, what does he say? He exhorts them. And what he said, the life was manifested. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you. We testify to who Jesus Christ is. Lord, help us to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is to go, therefore, into all the world. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who did he tell that to? All believers. Amen? He commissioned every single one of us. The supernatural outpouring from the life of one who is walking in intimate fellowship with God is a burden for the lost. A desire to see the lost saved. The more you love him, you can't help but be stirred up to share with others about him. The heart from which John writes his exhortive letter, a burden to proclaim the truth to those being drawn away by false doctrine. So he says there, we bear witness and declare to you. The word declare means to report, to tell, to announce. Guys, Christianity is not a secret to be kept. Amen? You know, we will, all of us, at times, we will gossip 
about nonsense. Amen? How much more ought our mouths be running about Jesus Christ? How much more should we be declaring, announcing, bringing the word, reporting, telling others about him? And it says there, declare to you that eternal life. I love again, who has manifested? The one who's always been. The one who has no beginning and no end. Eternal life was made manifest. Eternal life we obtain through salvation. And Jesus shed blood on Calvary will never end. But as I said before, Jesus never began. I've had people tell me, they just can't believe that. It's just too hard. What do you mean never began? Oh, stop it. I can't believe that. Again, I'm glad he's greater than us. And it says, the eternal life, which was with the Father. Before the beginning began, he already was. Jesus, eternal, is eternal life. God made manifest in the flesh, one with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I know I'm beating this into the ground, but I'll tell you why. Because this is one of the things that was not only being attacked then, but is being attacked now. The deity of Christ. The fact that He is Almighty God. Guys, does it make a difference? Could he have just been the Savior sent by, the, by God and not be God? No. If he is not God, if he is not risen, we are the most pitiable of all people. But praise God, he is risen. And he is God, amen? And there are no other gods. But Pastor Dave, that's so narrow. How dare you? Who do you think you are? I get emails like that once in a while. Who do you think you are saying Jesus is the only way? I didn't say it. The Bible says it. Amen? My words discount. Throw aside. What does the Bible say? How in the world? If you study God's word, one of two things will happen. You're going to get saved or you're going to be driven from it because you can't take it. Amen? The word of God will transform you or you'll run away from it. The false teachers claim to know more than what was written in the word. And in their arrogance, they claim to know more than Jesus. And now the word's being written. You guys don't know him at all. You know what? When Jesus was baptized, you see the Trinity. Perfect picture of the Trinity. I love that picture. Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. The heavens open up. And God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You guys remember that? They didn't do that. He didn't do that for any of the Gnostics. Amen? This is my beloved ignoramus in whom... He didn't say that. This is my beloved false teacher. He didn't say that about any of those claiming to be prophets today. Amen? And when they start making claims about Jesus Christ, they got a problem with the Heavenly Father who's going to deal with them later. Amen? You confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. There are many false teachers and prophets and messiahs of today. My philosophy teacher drove me nuts. Anybody have philosophy in college besides me? Why I took that class, I got no idea. Drove me nuts. Well, you might be here. You might, you might not be here. I don't know if you're really here. Are you here? I don't know. It could be. In my reality, maybe you're here. Maybe I'm Oh, stop. <laughs> you know what? It says in here, you're here. 
And it says in here, it's appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. And whether you believe that or not, it's reality. Amen? But I don't believe that. I mean, my reality, maybe there is no... Guess what? You don't have a reality, pal. This is the book. There's only one reality. There's only one way. There's only one truth. Amen? My philosophy teacher did not have Almighty God open up the sky and say, this is my... No, it wasn't you. You're not God. You're not very smart either. You're out thinking yourself. He was the one who used to tell me all the time, I'm an agnostic. I would have loved to have known at that time that it meant ignoramus, but I didn't. (laughs) Guys, it's not worldly wisdom or man-made knowledge or some secret private revelation that's going to transform your life or give you peace in the midst of trials. The only thing that will do it is intimate fellowship with the Father that can only come through knowledge of the Son empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Anything else is not going to bring you peace. You can watch Dr. Phil all you want. He doesn't have your answers. But you feel. How do you feel? Guess what? Not going to get it. You need Jesus. Amen? He's the answer. Verse 3. That which we have seen... And heard, we declare to you that you may also have that you also may have fellowship with us. The reason that this letter was written was to openly and clearly declare that the true source of intimacy and fellowship with God, that which John knew by experience, was in direct contrast to the false doctrine of the of the Gnostics that so many had fallen for, and more were being tempted to follow. He's saying, look, true intimacy, where does it come from? From the word that we have shared with you. Guys, he's saying, we want you to have fellowship with us. Who's the us he's talking about? Some would debate who that is. I think clearly he's talking about himself and the, and the Lord. We want you to have fellowship with us. The word fellowship is koinonia, which means to have in common. What do we have in common with the Father? There's only one thing we can have in common with the Father, and that's the Son. Amen? Anything apart from that, we cannot have koinonia fellowship with Him. You know, a lot of times in churches today, we call a lot of things fellowship, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do so, but too often, you know, again, the word means to have in common, and so for us, we define, you know, potlucks or fellowship, and they can be, we like food, amen? And that can be fellowship, but really, fellowship is not having tri-tip in common. It's having Jesus Christ in common, amen? That's fellowship. We have the Lord in common. We're new creations in Christ. We've been grafted in to the vine. You know, He's the vine. We're the branches. We've been grafted in. John 15, right? He's the, he, he alone is God, and we've been adopted into his family. We're his children. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Anything short of that, and we'll never see heaven. John, man of God, walking in intimate fellowship with Almighty God, has a burden to draw these persecuted and potentially tempted and confused first century Christians into a place of faith and common fellowship. This letter, again, written 2,000 years ago to draw people into the right place, is called to draw us today. Point number four, stay focused. Your fellowship is with the Lord, not with the world. It says there in the second half of verse three, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. John was not burdened to see them join a church. Do you notice that? You need to join the church. That's not what he tells them. You need to become a part of our organization. We need to get you to sign a membership card. 
I'm not, and I'm not saying that, you know, a church that has a membership card is wrong. Don't take that wrong. You know, some churches do that. God bless them. But here's the point, guys. We're not saved by joining a church, but becoming the bride of Christ, which is the church. Amen? And the exhortation here is to have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The letter was written with no ulterior motive, but to see them walking in intimate fellowship with Almighty God. It is our fellowship with the Lord and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that assures us of our heavenly inheritance, that brings us peace in the face of persecution, that knits us together as a family. The one thing we ought to have in common is our relationship with God. True fellowship is sharing, having Jesus in common. Too often, again, we find our fellowship with other people. We get together with singles if we're single and marrieds if we're married. We get together with people who have kids the same age. We get together with people that like the same things we do. But the reason we should be getting together more and more is because we have Jesus Christ in common. I say this often, I don't mean to embarrass him, but here's the reality. And I could pick on him because he works here and he, you know, what are you going to do? Pastor Bill and I have nothing in common. But we have everything in common because we've got Jesus Christ in common. And I count him as a brother and a clo- closer than a brother. But you know what? From a physical perspective, we just like different stuff. But that's okay. But you know what? The guy at work that I have everything in common from the worldly perspective is nothing in comparison to having Jesus Christ in common with every single one of you. Amen? That's fellowship. We need to keep Jesus at the center of our relationships. Talk about him, pray together, spend time in the word. That's why we do so much of that when we're here. The closer relationships come from a closeness with Jesus. You've seen this in marriage counseling. If you've ever had marriage counseling from me, marriage is like a triangle. God's at the top, the husband and wife are here. The closer the husband and wife are to the Lord, the closer they'll be to each other. The further they are from the Lord, the further they're going to be from each other. And the same is true in any relationship. Two friends, two brothers, two sisters, whatever it might be. If you're each close to the Lord, you've got the ability to have a greater closeness with each other. Each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. Let me say that one more time. We're almost done. You're as close to God as you choose to be. Know Him, love Him, get to know Him by spending time in His Word. Last point, know that the source of our joy, where we stand with the Lord, not our circumstances. The source of our joy is where we stand with the Lord, not our circumstances. Guys, if your source of joy is your circumstances, if your source of happiness is your circumstances, you're not going to be happy very often. Amen? You know, without going into details, we've kind of had a couple of weeks at the Johnston house. You guys don't have shingles. That's a lot of fun, by the way. You don't want that. But you know what? God's greater than that. And a lot of you are going through a lot worse than that, so I don't want to be a complainer. My son was driving day before yesterday and was driving too fast. See what happens when you're the pastor's kid? You get told on in front of everybody. (laughs) Going out on the radio, you know, that's just going to happen. He was driving too fast, hit some gravel, overcorrected, and hit a tree head on. Total his car. But you know what? He's okay. He cares about the car. Amen? 
But he called me, and you know what? Hey, I was shedding some tears I was driving down to see him because I didn't know how he was doing. Hey, you know what, guys? Here's the good news. Whatever is going on in life, it's not our circumstances that bring us joy, but our standing with Jesus Christ. Guys, it doesn't matter what illness we face, what difficulty we go through, what happens around us. God is faithful. God is greater still than anything we will ever face. Aren't you glad you're not going through this life by yourself? Can you imagine? He says this, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. You want to be full of joy? Be filled with the Lord. You want to be filled with joy? Keep your eyes on Him, not on your circumstances. There was no joy in Gnosticism. Some of them were legalists, just get the tape. Some were legalists, they had to keep a bunch of rules, and they beat themselves because they thought their flesh was wicked. Some of them were given over completely to debauchery. In either case, there's no joy in living a monastic life where you beat yourself to please God, and there's no joy living a life of complete perversion and wickedness because it brings nothing but harm. Guys, the only place you're going to find joy is from the Holy Spirit indwelling you as you walk with the Lord. Better to be in a fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Called him out of the fire. You got to be called out of a fire. Why is that? Because it's better to be in there with the Lord because he was in there with them. May I encourage you, no matter what you're going through, our joy is found in Jesus Christ. It's not conditional happiness based on our circumstances, but it's eternal joy based on our position in Jesus Christ. Guys, get back to the simplicity of your relationship with the Lord. If you're really bummed out because of the economy right now, the Word of God promises that He will provide our needs. Doesn't it? Now, you might think you need a Cadillac or a Hummer or something, right? And God might say, well, no, you need something less. I was going to say a car, and so I got one of them. I don't want to do that. But the point is, he he promises to provide our needs. And praise God. And so God knows and calls us to go out and work hard with our hands and to be faithful. But let's not be overwhelmed by the circumstances. Let's not be overwhelmed by the election, but pray for our president. Let's not be overwhelmed by the laws that may or may not get passed. Praise God, the law, the law of God will never be overturned, and he'll always be in control, and he'll always be God, and he's unchanging, and praise God for that, amen? Be encouraged this morning, Christians. Don't allow your circumstances to overwhelm you. So in closing, the fullness of joy. How to experience joy in the midst of trials, difficulty, and suffering. Number one, remember that our Savior and His promises haven't changed. He's still God. Number two, pursue pursue intimate fellowship with the Lord from knowing about Him to knowing Him intimately. Boldly declare the truth to others. Don't be distracted by false teaching, but fulfill the Great Commission. Number four, stay focused on the fact that your fellowship is with the Lord and other believers, not the world. Don't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Number five, know that the source of our joy is based on where we stand with the Lord and not our circumstances. And I want to say this as we close in prayer. I know some of you, your circumstances are heavy, and I don't want to act like they're not significant because they are. I know some of you are in great mourning. I know some of you are dealing with cancer. I know some of you have kids who've walked away from the Lord. I'm not downplaying that, but here's what I would like to say. You're not alone. You have this body here. You have the Holy Spirit. 
You have Almighty God on your side, and He's faithful, and He loves you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You and worship You for, the, just the, for who You are, for Your grace, for Your mercy, for the love You poured out upon us. And Lord, I know for many in this room this morning, things are tough. Many have been out of work for a, a great amount of time. Many are struggling going through difficulty, Lord. Many dealing with illnesses and pain and many have lost loved ones. Lord, I just thank you and praise you that your Holy Spirit is our comforter. Lord, I pray you would comfort them even now. You would encourage them. You would strengthen them. Lord, I pray for all of us. You'd help us to get our eyes off of our circumstances and get our eyes back on you. Lord, we're only overwhelmed when we take our eyes off of you. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. Go before us, Lord, but in the power of your Holy Spirit, may we draw unto you even now. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.